blessing it is for me and my wife Sue to be back here at Berrien Center Bible Church. We attended here for almost three and a half decades. So all of our children grew up here in the church and uh, were very impacted and influenced. They're all walking with the Lord today and their families seeking Him. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Berrien Center Bible Church, uh, for the just the influence that you've had in my life. And the whole One Cry movement was developed while I was sitting in some of these pews uh, during those years, and not because of Berrien Center, but because of what I saw across the nation of just a desperate need for God, that there was no other solution, not in Washington, D.C., not in our academia world, not in entertainment. There was no other solution but for God to descend and come in power and might with his presence among believers in the churches of America. And so about 12 years ago, I got away to say, Lord, it's not happening. It, something has to happen different than is happening today because our nation's getting worse, not better. And it was in that context when I got away that God just began to burden my heart and I came to the altar. I came to the place where I says, God, I need you. And I met with God. He met with me. And you know what this is like, don't you? Like in 10 minutes, God shows you what you've been seeking him for for 10 years. But it's just like at that moment, God just put the whole vision and burden of one cry on my heart. And really, it was embedded with about five or six questions. And here's what they were. What if? What if? America is not an exception to the judgment of God. And then I thought, what if these are really the last days before the return of Christ? And then I thought, what if the promises of revival are still true for today? That he really will come and he will deliver if we'll cry out to him. And then I thought to myself, what if what Joel said and Hosea says, that there really was such a thing as the latter rain, that right before the return of Christ, which many theologians and, frankly, people like you and I say must be any moment, but what if there was a latter rain right before the return of Christ, there is a great ingathering of souls called the latter rain. And then I th thought, what if? Right now, God is raising up a remnant of believers who will be the catalyst for that movement of his spirit in revival. And then the final question was, what if it begins with me? Not my brother, not my sister, but me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And that was the birthing context in the birthing room of a one cry movement that now has spread to one cry Indonesia, one cry India. Uh, churches throughout the city of Pensacola contacted us about a month ago and said, can we have a one cry movement here in Pensacola, Florida, a one cry Reno, Nevada of all places. Got a call from Burundi and we were training pastors in Burundi. I didn't even know where Burundi was. I thought it was next to Bering Center or something, but I found out it wasn't. And, um, and so anyway, there's a movement there, and God is just expanding that cry. And my prayer for today, as we seek him together, is that this won't just be a moment in my life. It won't be just a moment in your life. It'll be a movement 
in your heart, my heart, our hearts that cannot be contained until God displays his glory in revival and spiritual awakening. So it was in that birthing room, numerous initiatives came forth. And one is, what if God were to raise up pastors who would give two, three Sundays a year or four or five, and we had hundreds of voices going on weekends just like this to proclaim the incredible need but the incredible hope of revival. And that brings us to this moment because one of the speakers that is spearheading this whole dimension of one cry is from Little Rock, Arkansas, and his name is Jordan Bowen. And Jordan is here with us today as a part of the One Cry leadership team and uh, pastors a church in a, a very difficult part of Little Rock. And uh, God is just blessing that church that he planted. And Jordan, thank you for being yeah. here. Yeah. And thank you for being where I really consider my home church, Bering Center Bible Church, in so many ways. So Jordan, thank you. Yes. Bring us the yeah. word of God. Let me pray for you. God, we know when there's a message and we know when there's anointing and unction and power and the extraordinary speaking of your spirit to our hearts. And I pray that for Jordan. God, I pray that you anoint our ears as much as his lips. Yes, God. Cause us to be eager to hear from you. And I pray this in the powerful, reviving name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you, Byron. Well, um, I, I am a pastor in Little Rock, and me and my family moved there about five years ago to begin that journey. You ever start something and think, man, this is going to be awesome, and it very quickly becomes the most terrible thing you've ever done? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely how it was. You know, I was thinking about this while Byron was speaking. Um, where did my cry for revival begin? It was when I hit rock bottom. We were starting this church, um, just very briefly, our sending church um, dissolved. So all of a sudden we had no backing, no one behind us it felt like. And we're in a community that um, we would receive, I mean basically hate mail from neighbors and cursing in the streets from people. But we knew they needed the gospel. But man, I hit rock bottom. In that moment, I, um, I emailed. I just felt like the Lord said, you need to email a man named Bill Eliff. Maybe many of you know him. He's a neighboring pastor in Little Rock. And so I shot him an email, not expecting he would respond back, but he did. He responded back. And I just asked, I said, I need a friend. I need someone to talk to. So we got together. And um, I just let him know I was done. I was tired, wore out. My family was wore out. We were all alone. And I just didn't even think the Lord really cared that much. You ever been there? So he gave me some great advice. He said, Jordan, you need to go get alone. He helped me find a place where I could go away that was close enough to my family that I didn't feel like I was leaving them for a couple days with no help. And I went to this house, and um, Byron, you don't know this, but I was there, and I had seen the One Cry book before, but I hadn't read it. I was desperate. I saw that book. It was just laying in this house and among other books, and I began to read it. And I became very aware of a story that marked me. It's about a man named Gypsy Smith. Maybe you know the story, but 
Gypsy Smith was a, a man that was radically changed by God. He was just an ordinary guy, amen? Uneducated, just normal man. In fact, maybe even looked down upon by others. But God just be, showed up in his life. And then began to just move through his life. God began to do a work in him that began to do a work through him to other people. And as he began to just surrender himself to God, people would come to watch him burn like a fire. Right? You got to come hear this man named Gypsy Smith. God's hand is on him. And, and maybe God's hand could be upon me too. And crowds of people would come, this is over a century ago, come just to hear him speak about what God could do in their lives as they cried out to him in revival. It's recorded that other theologians and pastors and seminarians, they were almost just shocked. How could God do such a thing in and through him when we've been trying to do this for all these years? And he gave them this one statement that he lived by. He said, you grab a piece of chalk, I have mine here with me today. You go in a room where you're alone, similar to what Bill told me that day. And on the floor, you draw a circle. You stand in that circle. Maybe you know. You say, Lord, bring revival. Kneeling. And let it begin in me. Your greatest need is always the presence of God. And he promises it. If you have the presence of God, you have everything. And in the presence of God, all things really seem to not even matter anymore. I was in that house. I was done, broken and hurting. And I realized that maybe what God wanted to do was change me. Not change my church, not change my situation, but perhaps even, thank you, Lord, you brought me through a season so that I could see that you long for an intimate relationship with me. Sometimes we have to hit rock bottom to remember that God is the rock at the bottom. That's one cry for me. And so now my family, we just said, okay, well, if God can do it in us, he can do it in anybody. <laughs> if God can do it in our church, he can do it at any church, but it's going to cost us something. Life Action, a ministry nearby, the founder, Dell Pheasantfield Jr., he said, uh, revival, no matter how great or small in its ultimate scope, always begins in the desperate heart of believers who are willing to pay the price to meet with him, to meet with God. That's the cost. One word, surrender. That's what it took for me. Lord, I surrender myself to you. Surrender everything to you. Lord, bring revival, which is just a move of you in my life and through me, and for your glory, and I am asking for that revival to begin in me. That means, God, I surrender. I submit whatever you want to do. Does that make sense? But this is, just, this is a prayer of believers for centuries, I mean, look throughout all of Scripture. Constantly we see seasons of God moving in extraordinary ways when the people of God pursue His presence and say, Lord, we just want to see you do what only you can do in our lives and through our lives, and God shows up and does it. 
I want to look at one prayer of a man who led a church to kneel in surrender for God to do the extraordinary. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at the prayer of a man named Paul. Paul, radically changed by God and then devoted his life to lead others to live a radical life for him, comes to a church that he started in Ephesus that he dearly loved. And he writes this letter to them. And right in the middle, he gives us this prayer for the extraordinary move of God through the extraordinary promised presence of God. You with me? It's a prayer with a church for the extraordinary move of God that comes only by and through the promised presence of God. So let's see that together. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. And this is what he says. For this reason, the unity of the church and what God had done, who we are in Christ, for this reason, I kneel, someone say kneel, I kneel, Paul, before the Father. Let's look at that one word for a second. That kneeling was uncommon in his day. They never prayed kneeling. In fact, Jews, they always prayed standing, wailing, right, moving. It was a standing prayer. But Paul, someone's writing for him in this moment, scribing, and he hits his knees. He's desperate. He, he must have an urge, a longing inside of him for God to hear this prayer. Because that scribe had been shocked. What are you doing, Paul? Why are you on your knees? We don't do that. It was the posture for what he was asking God for. So Paul kneels. Surrender. He says this, I kneel before you, God, the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you, this body of Christ in Ephesus, may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell. What did he pray? He prayed for the power of God through his presence, the spirit of God that indwelled these people. I'm praying that you will have strength from God so that, he said what? So that Christ may dwell in you. Listen, there's a difference here in the word indwell, indwell. We know this, and they would have known this because in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, when you followed Christ, when you accepted him, when you became a believer, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promise, the Holy Spirit. At the moment I cried out to Christ as my Lord and Savior, he indwelled me fully by the presence of the Holy Spirit. But now in chapter 3, he's saying that's true. But does he dwell? With you. There's a difference in a residence and a home, right? My home is Oklahoma, and oh, do I long for those whipping winds and tornadoes of Oklahoma. <laughs> Never thought I would. I miss it. I miss it. Sometimes I feel like I reside in Arkansas among a, uh, uh, an alien, among many different types of people there, and I long for the home of Oklahoma. Christ resides in you, but my question is, does he have permission to make a home in you? My wife, I love her dearly because she talked me into remodeling part of our home. That's how I communicated my love, by doing the stupidest thing I'd ever done. I tried to attempt to remodel our kitchen, and 
But when I read this, I realize that Christ gave his life to reside in me. And often I don't give him the permission to remodel me. There are areas of my life that God wants to get in and he wants to rule in. Christ resides in you. But does he have your permission in prayer to rule in you? Well, this must be important because Paul's saying, I'm kneeling that the strength to allow this to happen comes from God through the Holy Spirit in you that you'll give him permission to remodel your life. Sounds like revival, right? What else does he pray? He says, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have, there's that word again, power, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. He says this, I pray that you who are already rooted in love, you have the love of Christ. You followed him. You're a Christian. You have all of him. He's given all of his love to you. You're rooted in it. It's who you are. But I'm praying that you can grasp it and then know it. He's saying, I want you to fathom the unfathomable. I mean, think about that for just a moment. You with me today? Say, come on. Okay, good, good, good. Front row's here with me. Back row, you guys with me? Come on now, yeah, you have the love of Christ, he died for you. And he's saying, but you cannot fully fathom that all your days. Keep coming, keep learning, keep grasping how wide, how high, how deep, how vast. It's the love of God. I pray you become a little closer to encountering the fathomable parts of the unfathomable love of God. And then he says, knowing it. Let me give you this. Is there a difference in knowing something and knowing something? You know what I mean when I say no and no, don't you? A lot of no's there. All of you are going, no, no, we don't. There's a difference. Let me explain. Here in this word knowing, he's using an experiential word in the original language in the Greek. So he's not saying, I want you to know simply a knowledge. I want you to experience it through your life. I want you to know the love of Christ. There's more of his love for you to experience. Can anybody testify to that? I did in that house that day. When I went there in a desperate cry for a change in my life. And God met me. And I encountered a deeper love. And it changed me. There's more of God's love that he wants you to know and he wants you to know. It's like the ocean. We only know 5% of the ocean. But have you ever experienced the waves? Have you ever gone out there and all of a sudden your floaty device took you a little bit farther out than you were comfortable with? And you begin to see and think about the depths and the vast and the width and the length of this deep blue sea. And then you were reminded of the Discovery Channel and Shark Week that you decided to watch for a little bit. You begin to experience some different sides of the ocean. Hey, you can read about the ocean all day, but I want you to get in there, he says. 
I want you to know the truth of God's love and then encounter it day after day, experience it day after day so that you can walk into a world that needs the love of Christ and say, I know it because I'm experiencing him right now with me. I'm encountering his love. When my wife and I were in darkness, you were there, God. He prayed for that. And then he prayed one more prayer. To grasp how wide and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love, and here's the reason why, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Listen, the moment you received Christ, you were fully indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Fully indwelled. But here he's beginning to speak of a being filled to the fullness. So what is he saying? Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, there's this thread of the Holy Spirit throughout Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The understanding there in the original language is keep on being filled. You have the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have all of you? It's a monopoly, he's saying. He doesn't want just boardwalk on your monopoly board of your life. He wants the blue, the red, the green, and he wants to put those uh, hotels on you. Not those piddly little green houses, right? He wants to have every nook and cranny of you. The Holy Spirit You have him, but does he have all of you? Now, they would have understood this because they would have connected the field to the fullness to an Old Testament story in 1 Kings chapter 8 when they were consecrating the temple to God. They consecrated the temple, and in 1 Kings chapter 8, God manifests his presence. We see that in the Old Testament by a pillar of cloud, right? This pillar of cloud that had led them through the wilderness, the Israelites, and then they come to the promised land, and then long time later, they build this temple so that Christ or so that God may dwell with them in their worship, and they consecrate it. They give it to him, and then it says that the presence of God in 1 Kings 8 filled this temple with a pillar of cloud so much that the priest had to run out of the house. Church got canceled because God showed up. Maybe we should do some of that, right? God moved in power. And here, he's saying, listen, listen, come on, it's too good. It's too good. You're the temple of Christ. You're the temple of God. You're the house where he dwells. You're the house of worship. And here, uniquely, in chapter 1 through 2, he's talking about how we are the body of Christ. And we are being built into the home where he dwells. And here he says, there could be a filled to the fullness in and through you. What if God in our surrender and our revival cry, he filled us because we were filled with him already and we surrendered ourselves to him and it was as if his presence was just so radiant in our lives that all of our flesh, of our indwelling of him, our temple, we are the temple, just had to get out of the house because there was no more room for me. There was only room for him. Does it make sense? So his prayers, Lord, I want us to surrender. That's everything there. All three of those prayers, the core of that is just surrender. Lord, bring revival, do the extraordinary, and I am telling you to do it in me. I surrender. Bring revival, let it begin in me. Now, I know that's partly what he's praying because there's one more verse, and then we're going to apply it together. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. Okay, good, good. Lean in here. 
because it gets better. Because this is what Paul reminds them of why they're crying out. Look again, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, Now to him, who? God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That word immeasurably more is a made-up word. Any grammar teachers in here? You were my favorite teacher, but my least favorite class. You helped me all the way through, but I was terrible at grammar, so I can relate to Paul. Paul here, he's so overwhelmed, kneeling, mind you, kneeling before God, crying out to him in this prayer, so overwhelmed that he gets to this point. He's like, what's going to happen if we would just allow God to have all of us in surrender? And he just goes, there's not a word for it, so it's super incredibly way more. He gets four words, smashes them together, and we translate it the best we can as, well, um, it's, it's more than, than more. <laughs> it's immeasurably more. <laughs> it's super incredibly way more. He is the first Mary Poppins. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. There is supercalifragilisticexpialidocious that God wants to do in your life as you surrender to him. And he does it through his promised presence in you. And you are able to see what God can do. And it's more. Oh, it's more. Do you need more of him in your marriage? Do you need more of him in your school? Do you need more of him in this church? The answer is always yes. <laughs> Do you need more of him in your career? Do you need more of him in your retirement? Do you need more of him in just knowing, what do I do with my life? Well, he promises it. And it's way better than you can ask or imagine. And then he says this. Now to him who's able to do this, all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within who? Us. God, do a work in me and through me. Power of the Holy Spirit. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. I believe this. Surrender, prayer, humility, faith is the operating system of God. That's how he works. It's the conduit of how he wants to move in through our lives. And then he expresses it at its best when we unite as the church. You exist for the glory of God. God wants to do extraordinary more. Revival. The extraordinary move of God through the presence, the spirit of God. I like to say it's God's showing up and showing out. It's the people of God uniting, pursuing the presence of God. Humble. Hungry for him. In repenting and holiness, his presence is more. So this is what we're going to do. Tonight, we're going to get to pray a lot. But why don't we start it right now? If Paul was so desperate for God and wanted a church to unite with him, crying out for God to do immeasurably more than all can be asked or imagined, and his posture was what we see in Gypsy Smith a few centuries ago, what we see in the Old Testament when in 2 Chronicles 7, if my people will humble themselves, seek my face, hungry for him, turn from away his holiness, there's again that surrender posture. And if his posture was kneeling, then maybe we should assume the same posture. So Ben's going to come up in the worship team. We're going to go to just a time of prayer. Are you with me? It's time of response. That's it. And maybe you're like me. You've hit rock bottom. You're all alone, and you're here, 
and you're desperate, can I give you some good news? That's a great place to be. Because God wants to meet you right there. But the posture is kneeling. So as Ben plays, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're able-bodied and willing, would you just kneel where you're at? Even right now, just go ahead and assume that posture. This is what I want you to do. We're going to have a moment of response. Here in a moment, I'll give you some more options of ways you can respond. But right now, this is something we all can unite in. And as you're kneeling and he's playing, I want you to pray. You can do that out loud or in your heart. And maybe you just want to say, Lord, I, I need revival. Begin it in me. I want to encounter your presence that, that I know can do an extraordinary work in my life and through my life. So what do you need to change in me? I surrender. So just for this moment now, would you just keep kneeling and just pray right now. This is a conversation. United cry with our Father. And say, Lord, I surrender. I'm done. I'm broken before you. I need you. Say, Lord, bring revival. Let it begin in me. And as you're praying right now, you're kneeling with us. Maybe some of you, you need to just kind of climb out of the rows. You may want to come kneel here at the front or talk to a pastor, one of the elders. They're going to stand up right now, all the pastors and elders. We're going to have a couple of them here at the front. They're going to make their way right now to the front. Some of them are even going to try to find themselves on the side of the walls, okay? So we've got a couple here at the front, two or three at the side of the walls there. So maybe right now for you, you know you just need to unite with someone in prayer. Maybe there's something in your heart. You just want to say, Lord, I need you to rule and reign in it again. And I want you, we're going to sing. And when you're done praying and kneeling, you can stand and sing. If you want to keep kneeling and praying, keep kneeling and praying. But if you want to receive some prayer from one of your leaders, come and do that. If you're ready to make a decision to follow Christ, come and do that. If you're ready to be obedient, not to quench or grieve the Holy Spirit, through the obedience of the baptism, come and say, I'm ready to do that. Next week, sign me up. But as we sing, keep praying and just do whatever God tells you to do right now. Saying, Lord, bring revival and let it begin in me.